This is Defender Radio. Defender Radio is brought to you by Gates Wildlife Control and the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. It's the week of June 16, 2014, and this is Michael Howie welcoming you to episode 135 of Defender Radio. Every day, life happens around us, from viruses multiplying to humans launching rockets into space. Our need for growth causes change. Yet despite these clearly understood needs, we often have difficulty understanding the millions of lives surrounding our own. The quest to understand what animals think and feel is one that may never be complete. But there are ways for us to understand what motivates them and why it is important to work to ensure their protection. On the West Coast, thousands of people are working to protect grizzly bears, apex predators essential to the survival of ecosystems. Included in those ranks are professional bear guides from the coastal First Nations who want hunters to take a shot, but with cameras instead of guns. We'll be joined by expert bear guide Douglas Nieslaus, who explains what the Great Bear Initiative means and how it may save the bears of the West Coast. In the East, tragedy struck Moncton as three RCMP officers were killed and others injured when a madman opened fire on them. As the case unraveled, the suspect was caught, and he will face justice. From that story, however, erupted heart-wrenching photos of a police service dog, Danny, whose partner, Constable David Ross, was killed in the gunfire. We'll speak with Yvette Van Veen, a dog behaviorist and science-based trainer, to try and understand what emotions Danny may or may not have felt when the iconic photos of him sniffing his fallen partner Stetson were snapped. Before we get started, we need your help in a new initiative. Defender Radio News Since the 1930s, APFA has tried to find solutions to the inhumane use of the leg hole trap. In the 1940s, we even supplied funding to a man who purported to have a humane trap. But that proved a false hope. Last weekend, we learned of a cat becoming a victim to a leg hold in Campbell River, B.C. With this news, we are reigniting our call to ban the use of leg hold traps throughout British Columbia. You can help us in this fight by visiting our blog and getting a sample letter to use in contacting your MLA. Your voice will add to the many who say, with passion and truth, that leg hold traps are not acceptable in British Columbia. Join us today at FurBearDefenders.com. Defender Radio News. Two Canadian press photographers covering the funerals of fallen officers in Moncton, New Brunswick, captured iconic images of a police service dog, Danny, sniffing the Stetson of his partner, Constable David Ross, after a tragic gun battle left him dead. Other photos show Danny panting and whining in front of the casket which held Constable Ross. Social media exploded with these heart-wrenching images. But along with the shares and comments, many began asking, Is Danny really grieving? Are dogs capable of feeling depressed or distraught? What does this mean? To help us answer these questions, 
dog behaviorist, and science-based trainer Yvette Van Veen of AwesomeDogs.ca joined Defender Radio. It's uh, so it's Danny the dog whose partner um, Constable Dave Ross was killed in the incredibly tragic incident in Moncton uh, last week, and in the last couple of days we have seen. A lot of images online, and I believe it's a Canadian press photographer who got most of these, or a couple of Canadian press photographers, and it is pictures of uh, the dog sitting next to the casket, looking around, jumping up to sniff the, the Stetson, and the immediate reaction of everyone is that this is a dog mourning for the loss of his partner and friend, and... Something that we hear a lot about is the inappropriate use of anthropomorphism. So attributing emotions to animals that may not exist. So as a, a dog behavior uh, uh, expert, a trainer, with all of your experience, looking at those images and knowing the story, is this dog feeling grief and mourning or is it just a dog being a dog? Can we Can we in any way tell what's happening? I don't think we can tell, but... I'd be a pretty cold and callous human to write that one down into science. Like, even I have my limits on that. I think, I mean, there's been experiments like with, with chimps and attachment, like really famous experiments, the ones where, you know, you get the, and I mean, at some level, I guess it's kind of cruel, separate the chimp from its mother and give it a, a soft, fuzzy thing to cling to and give it a big chimp mum that, produces milk, you know, food versus comfort. Um, and, you know, the chimps all are picking the comfort sort of thing rather than the food. Like, they'll go eat and then go back to the comfortable fake mother. You know, so, I mean, in terms of attachment, I mean, that's obviously primates, but is it outside the realm of possibility that a dog could form an attachment to a human being? And I would say, of course not. And I mean, there's you know, like, there's people constantly go right to me and it's like, oh, my dog won't even let me go to the bathroom by myself. You know, you close the door and the dog's whining, like, please let me in, please let me in. You know, or you get dogs with separation anxiety. So the idea of being um, bonded or attached or showing some sort of emotional distress over separation, all of those are, you know, sort of, Things that I think people can identify with. Do we know whether the dog understands that his partner um, is no longer with us? I, 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 we can't ask. We don't know. Um, well, yeah, I guess the, the basis of this, though, is it has to come down to interpretation. So we don't speak dog. And that's something... Um, Dr. Mark Beckoff has told to me in the past when he talks about animal emotions is we don't know what they're feeling because we can't speak their language, but a dog can still feel grief as a dog, but it may not be the same as our grief. Right. And I mean, I don't know. I mean, how do you ever test that? That's the, that's the issues like to say, you know, do you feel the way that I, I mean, I can't even say that you experience grief the same way I experience grief and we're humans, right? So how can I extend that to say that the dog is feeling grief versus, oh my God, he's in the box, he's in the box, I can smell him. I mean, I, he might not even understand the concept that his partner's lost, uh, is not with us anymore. He could just possibly be going, I can smell him, I don't know where he is, where is he? You know, that sort of desire to be near him. Who knows? I don't know. 
and I think that's sort of that realm of we don't know. Um, but I think it also kind of exemplifies that, you know, you have this dog, and there's certain, it, it's tough. I mean, because one of the things that I did, you know, when we lost Kaya, we still had Kiki. She was um, slightly older than Kaya, and we made the decision to bury Kaya in, in, in our yard. We've got a large property. And we made the decision to allow her to come say goodbye to him because we just kind of went, don't know. But might as well just be open to the idea of making sure she sees that he's no longer here. And the reaction from her, I don't know what she was feeling, but I can say that she was very distraught. Um, you know, she was, you know, trying to get in the hole with them. She was, we had put a, a roll of toilet paper in there because Kai loved toilet rolls. A paper rolls loved like shredding them. So that was something we buried with him and we had kind of tucked it in under his uh, under his chin and she was ripping that toilet paper out, would not leave it there. She was trying to nudge him to get up. And like, do I know what she was feeling? No. But am I, I, I just can't make that, I can't bring myself to say that, you know, some people say, well, they're animals. They don't feel the way we do. I mean, that's pretty presumptuous of me to assume that. So it's a real tough call. I don't think we can actually stay, but why not be open to the idea that they're capable? I mean, what harm does that necessarily do, especially on emotions and bonding and things like that? I, I mean, it's really, it's really hard for me to, to see why it would be so bad to look at an animal and be open to the possibility that they can experience a diverse array of emotions. I mean, I, to me, that sort of cold attitude of saying, no, they can't because we can't prove it, it's a little bit like somebody saying, yeah, well, fish don't feel pain, so we can just do whatever we want with them. Whereas as soon as somebody comes up with a clever experiment, we go, wow, they feel pain. Who knew? And, you know, those types of ideas, I don't know. I just, I prefer to kind of remain open to it. And I just kind of have a real hard, I personally have a hard time processing it because there's the science part of me that's waging war with the emotional side of me because it's an emotional topic. Yes, because you and I are very similar in that way, as you know. Um, and that, that leads to some of our, our fun conversations at two in the morning. Um, but I, I guess then what I need to know or what I need to ask is if we can't know precisely what is going through Danny's mind. Danny, the German shepherd who's a beautiful animal that, as you pointed out, clearly is in, in some manner distraught or confused. Um, does that mean that we need to be ready to accept the idea that many, many animals, at the very least social mammals like dogs have the ability to feel I guess you would say as deeply as we do, and maybe simply because we don't communicate the same way. We may never know, but you also pointed out that there isn't always a scientific explanation for an emotional concept. 
so how how do we reconcile all of those ideas? I mean, we we talk about coyotes and wolves and cougars and all of these other intelligent social beings on this show. Um, and now we're talking about man's best friend, and we're saying we can't know what he's feeling, but we can know he is feeling. So how do we try and bring all of that together with how we interact with, with animals around us on a regular basis? Well, I don't need to know how somebody feels to direct my own behavior. I mean, regardless of how you are feeling today, it doesn't, I mean, for the most part, it doesn't impact how I speak to you, right? I mean, I might detect hints of sadness or happiness or something. I might address the conversation that way. But in terms of my choice to try and be as kind a person as possible, that is a choice that I make regardless of how anyone around me feels. So, I mean, to me, I can be open to the possibility that we have, you know, animals might possess emotions beyond what we have ever assumed they have. I can be open to that idea, and the scientific part of me can wage war with that, and I can be completely fine with that, and I can still say to myself, I'm waking up today, and the choices that I make with this animal, I am still going to come at it from the kindest way I know possible. And I'm not saying be perfect at it. I will make mistakes, but it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. If I put the onus on myself, just always try and do right. To learn more about Yvette and her work, visit awesomedogs.ca. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors. You're listening to Defender Radio. First, they tear a hole in your roof. Then they get in, destroying your insulation, chewing your electrical wiring. Raccoons and squirrels are eating away at your biggest investment, your home. I am Brad Gates of Gates Wildlife Control. Don't wait any longer. Call Gates Wildlife Control. We'll humanely get them out and keep them out. We will come to your house and provide you with a no-obligation free estimate. Please visit us at gateswildlifecontrol.com or call 416-750-9453. Bearsmart.com is the most comprehensive resource on the web for all things bear. At Bearsmart.com, we work hard to ensure people and bears safely and respectfully coexist. Join us as we give bears a voice at Bearsmart.com. Have you ever heard a coyote sing? Did you know that coyotes are also called North America's song dogs? They communicate through unique howls, yips, and barks. At Coyote Watch Canada, we're committed to fostering peaceful coexistence for communities and their wildlife neighbors by building compassionate wildlife communities one community at a time. Please visit us at coyotewatchcanada.com for more information and tips about this amazing Keystone species. Every year, dogs, cats, endangered species, and even people are caught in cruel leg-hold, conibear, and other body-gripping traps across Canada. Who will speak out for these innocent victims of an outdated industry? We will. I'm Leslie Fox, Executive Director of the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. With your support, we can bring an end to the needless and painful deaths of hundreds of thousands of animals. Become a member today at Fur-Bearer Defenders.com. 
www.fairbearingfriends.com to find out how you can give hope for our fur-bearing friends. This is Defender Radio. Hundreds of thousands of people in British Columbia have shared their voices, looking to bring an end to the trophy hunting of grizzly bears. Among them are the coastal First Nations, who not only oppose the trophy hunt, but have created solutions for those who wish to witness the extraordinary beauty of grizzlies. Douglas Nieslaus, an expert bear guide from the Spirit Bear Lodge, joined us to talk about how the Great Bear Initiative wants hunters to trade in their guns for cameras. All right, well, why don't we start, uh, let's talk a bit about the uh, the trophy hunt that is going on. Um, and that's sort of what is was catapulted this this contest that you've created. So, how does the relationship between between yourself, Spirit Bear Lodge, and uh, the Coastal First Nations interact with the grizzly hunt? Um. Yeah, I guess it all started uh, probably about fifteen years ago for myself. I uh, helped set up a new tourism operation called uh, Spirit Bear Lodge. And um, I retired last year from there. I don't do that anymore, but I still have to do all the training. But, um, you know, it's been uh, it's been very important that, uh, you know, in, in my territory, we protected about 50% of our territory. It's all locked up in protected area. And um, so we try to create some other economic opportunities, just sustainable economic opportunities, and tourism is going to be a big part of that. So um, we basically yeah, developed that business. And uh, as we were out there trying to view bears, uh, they were tagged being issued by the government to go and shoot these bears. So um, uh, we basically, uh, we are a member of one of the nine coastal persons communities uh, called uh, the Great Bear Initiative. And um, so we basically got a mandate from that table to go and set up this group to, to tackle uh, the trophy hunt issue. Now, uh, and please forgive my ignorance if I'm completely not understanding this, but if a lot of this land does belong to First Nations, why is the government permitting hunting on it? Well, and that's been an ongoing debate, and, uh, you know, like, yeah, a lot of these are, are unceded territories, and, and in my community, we have two different nations that live here, the Kittis and the Hague people who have a long history and, and uh, village sites, uh, all, you know, all throughout the territory, um, and that's been an ongoing challenge. The provincial government keeps this really permits for people to come and shoot these bears, and uh, you know, and, and they're given these permits without proper information, and um, uh, they keep saying that it's sustainable. That it, uh, they can take four percent of the bear population, but they don't really know what the bear population is, and uh, it's all based on these computer models. And, and they look at how many trees there are in British Columbia and kind of estimate that, and you know, how many bears there are in British Columbia. So, um, <laughs> I, I'm sure someone has a math formula that makes that make sense. Trees to bear ratio, right? Like, yeah, yeah. It, it, but there's lots of gaps, and we had scientists look at how they collect the data, and uh, there's lots of gaps. Just things like salmon, for instance, are not included in their formula, you know, and that's a huge part of uh, bear population, especially in the greater rainforest, because you know there's zero percent meat in the bear diet on the central coast. Uh, these bears eat uh, mostly uh, salmon, a lot of uh, vegetation. Um, so the fact that salmon aren't included in their diet is, uh, you know, should it, yeah. Well, and that's something we've come across with the BC government uh, as well when it comes to, to other species like deer and moose and caribou, um, is they, they do a one-day head count in one area 
and then use a computer model to extrapolate what the entire province is going to be. And a lot of wildlife scientists just turn around and say, look, this doesn't work. Like, populations aren't evenly spread out and you know, you're going to have clusters, you're going to have clumps, you're going to have areas where there is an unusual gap. You can't guess. you got to find out for sure before you make a policy decision. And that kind of sounds like part of what's going on there as well. Yeah, so absolutely. And, uh, you know, we just felt there was, uh, you know, huge gaps in the science. And, uh, you know, I've been a guide for 15 years and, and I know, uh, you know, I have a better indication of what's going on out there. I know how many bears in each one of those systems. I've watched collapse of salmon stocks and watched, you know, collapse of bear populations in some systems. Um, so, you know, I know just from first-hand experience and I just felt there wasn't enough being done about, you know, especially on the science side of things in terms of collecting data. So, we set up our own science program called the Spear Bear Research Foundation, and um, we're out there collecting a bunch of data. Um, on the Central Coast alone, we're investing about half a million dollars in bear research. So. Well, you, you certainly are putting your, your money where your mouth is in that case, and that leads me to it's one of the points I find interesting. I have read some research uh, from out west that indicates bear viewing is actually more profitable than bear hunting. Is that part of the, the model for Spirit Bear Lodge and for the First Nations communities? Yeah, absolutely. And we've always believed that, that tourism is sustainable, it's long-term, but uh, you get these hunters that come in and shoot a bear once and that bear is long forever. So, um, we, yeah, I mean, I, I would say uh, there was a report that came out from Stanford University and a group called Crest, and they basically did an in-depth analysis on trophy hunting versus eagle tourism. And it was said that uh, trophy hunting and and uh, um, resident hunting are worth 1.1 million in the Greater Rainforest. Uh, there's only four guide outfitters, four yeah, four guide outfitter companies that um, that hunt bears in the Greater Rainforest, and they employ a, a total of 11 people. Uh, ecotourism is 56 ecotourism operations. Uh, they employ about 560 people, and it's worth about 15.2 million. So, yeah, those numbers are pretty clear to me. Um... Yet the government doesn't seem to uh, to want to go that way. And that's something we've seen in Ontario and pretty much every other province and territory in Canada. Um, and that's that's certainly interesting. But that also then uh, opens up what uh, your organizations have decided to do. Um, and, and I love the, the lead in the press release. Uh, you're inviting a pair of lucky hunters to come shoot bears in the Great Bear Rainforest using cameras instead of guns. So how was that idea formulated to, to try and say, you can still enjoy these bears and these wilds, let's just look at the other ways you can do it. Yeah, no, absolutely. That was a, we, we had a lot of discussion about, you know, kind of next steps and how we want to try and put an end to some of the trophy hunting. And, um, you know, we did a poll of British Columbians, and we found out 87% of British Columbians opposed uh, the trophy hunt. And a lot of those people we polled were also hunters. And uh, a majority of, of hunters, uh, you know, have even agreed that you shouldn't be shooting something for sport. So, um uh, we came up with this idea just to, number one, create more awareness, and that was the biggest thing we want to do is, is, is with bear hunting. So we asked people um, to apply for their hunting license, and uh, they had up until May 23rd to apply for these licenses, and then they're given a tag for a certain region, and it could be for different animals. It could be for black bears, grizzly bears, uh, yeah, mountain goat, um, a number of different things. So we're asking people to uh, apply for those licenses, and, and then... Um, Instead of hunting them, uh, leave your guns at home, and, and we'll take you on a guided trip to go see these bears in the wild. And um, and we had uh, extremely positive response, and we were getting calls from all over the place. And people who have never hunted before were wanting to apply for licenses just so they can try and help save a bear or come on a bear viewing trip. So uh, 
It's outstanding to hear, and, I, and I'm really impressed with how how strong this new economy seems to be that uh, that you're creating out there. Uh, and and I wonder how much of the traditional heritage or culture play into the attractiveness of the ecotourism on the coast. Well, I would say it's a huge part. I mean, um, I think our values and, and, and our and our um, uh, history is, is very much ingrained in, in our company spirit, their lodge. We have all local guides uh, that will take people out. Um, we have local boat operators, local chefs. Uh, but when we started our tourism business, you know, it's not just a, a regular business. Our community made it very clear that things are going to be very respectful when you do uh, things out there. Uh, everything from not harassing wildlife to making sure that we're respecting some of the cultural sites. And, uh, uh, yeah, I would say uh, it was very important for the for a community perspective. I mean, this is a, it's a community-owned and operated business, it's, uh, so it's very important that it represents the values of the community. So. To learn more about the Great Bear Initiative or the Coastal First Nations, visit coastalfirstnations.ca. That's it for this week, folks. I hope you have found in this episode questions that will lead you to a greater understanding of the animals in our world. I'd like to thank Brad Gates of Gates Wildlife Control for his ongoing support of this program. On behalf of APVA and Defender Radio, this is Michael Howie reminding you to stay informed and stay strong.